on today's episode of Life Embodied. People sometimes think that both PMS and period pain are like universal experiences that every person with a menstrual cycle in the entire world has. But that is not true. It's not true. And I think that it's very important to understand that our body is responding to our environment. So if we don't have safety in our bodies because our environment is so unsafe, and I say quote-unquote unsafe because it's not unsafe in terms of like an animal is going to attack us, but unsafe in the sense of that we cannot rest, like we have to think about so many things and we have to be aware and present and, you know, ready to respond. This has an impact on our bodies and our bodies just respond. And this response, whether it's pain or it's agitation or mood swings or like physical cramping, your body is just showing you like, hey, I'm responding to my environment and I'm not really liking it. So can you maybe change the environment for me? That's all the body mm -hmm. is saying. I think if people would look at it in this way, there would be so much more compassion for what the body is doing. Because a lot of people are like blaming their body or thinking their body is failing them, while it's actually the complete opposite. Welcome to Life Embodied, where we explore how an embodiment practice can support us in meeting the challenges of life. How can we surf the waves of life deeply anchored in the safety of our bodies? How can we learn to trust our capacity to be with intense sensations and emotions? How can we cultivate body awareness and why does it matter? Episodes include interviews with experts and practitioners that bring their knowledge and passion and share practical tips for your everyday life. I am your host, Katharina Alf. Thank you for joining us and enjoy the conversation. Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. My guest is Iris Josefina Verstappen. She is a certified hormonal health coach, functional hormone specialist, orthomolecular advisor, and birth worker, with an academic background in medical anthropology and women's studies. She's also qualified in holistic women's health, traditional midwifery practices, and trauma-informed coaching. Her work revolves around our menstrual and life cycles, from periods to postpartum. In all her work, the main focus lies on getting to know our bodies, gaining body literacy, sharing tools to make informed body choices, and cultivating a sense of body belonging throughout all changes and cycles our bodies move through. Iris is the founder of the Holistic Hormone and Cycle Coaching Certification Training, where she offers education, mentorship, and evidence-based resources for an international community of hormonal health practitioners and coaches. And she is the host of the Planting Seeds podcast. Welcome, Iris. Thank you for having me. Hmm, thank you for saying yes and taking the time. We are here today to talk about menstrual health, PMS, and period pain. But before we dive into that topic, I want to ask you the question I ask every guest. What is it like being your body? What is the physical experience of being you? Wow, that's a beautiful question. Um, I love being in my body. 
Mm -hmm. And for a big chunk of my life, I did not like being in my body uh, because I was living with ADHD without knowing I had it. And I found out this year I got my diagnosis. And ever since I know that, so many things that felt strange in my body started to make sense. And I'm so grateful. And I can like place why things happen, why I feel certain things. And it's quite liberating. I feel very liberated in my body uh, since the beginning of this year. And I also notice that by feeling that way, connecting with other bodies also changed. And it's a very beautiful explorative journey in this body and I also feel like the older I get the more rooted I feel in my body I'm 33 now and um, I think it's the first time that I can really say like I really 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 feel at home in my body from a very embodied perspective yeah oh Oh, beautiful. Thank you for sharing this. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for asking. It's a beautiful question. If it's okay to just stay with this for a second, because I, I think it's such a new thing that especially women get diagnosed with ADHD and it makes such a big difference in so many people's lives. Yeah. What would you say is the shift that you experienced, like knowing about this, let's say, condition now, what makes the difference? Could you describe what changed in your perception? What was the biggest shift for me is the, the recognition that how my brain thinks certain things, how my body does certain things, that that is okay. And also <laughs> just another, another variation of normal. Yeah. And where earlier I was constantly judging myself and comparing, like, why can't I do it like the normal way, like everybody does it? Um, but now I'm really starting to appreciate all the little quirks that I do and how my brain mm -hmm. works and how I forget <laughs> things and um, how my body like moves through the world. Mm. And I think that's the biggest That's been the biggest shift, just understanding like what kind of like fits in the in in the diagnosis of ADHD, what are the the characteristics? And then seeing all of these show up in my body and go like, oh, okay, so this is my normal. And I don't have to compare myself to other people because my brain is literally never going to work that way. I'll have to do it with this. And learning about what that this means is so liberating. It's It really feels like a homecoming in the body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, mm, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think this is such a good example of when a diagnosis is a relief right? Yeah. And some people have asked me like, don't you feel weird now that you have this label? But I don't experience it as a label. It's more like, okay, now I have like this guidebook that fits me and my body. 
and I can finally breathe in my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't have to like prove mm-hmm. anything. I don't have to do it in ways people tell me to do because it doesn't work. It's just liberating. I I really feel liberation. Beautiful. Yeah. And obviously it also comes with a little bit of grief because, you know, if I had known this as a child, my life would probably have looked very different, especially in terms of like <laughs> unnecessary struggle. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, I really feel mm. liberated. Okay, this could be another very interesting podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It's noted. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting topic and I feel we need to talk about it more so that people mm-hmm. can have a lot of material they can relate to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, this will be a, a different episode at a different time. So let's talk about menstrual health. You say that period problems are not normal, although they're normalized. Yeah. And um, extremely common, yeah. <laughs> shockingly common. Mm-hmm. Whenever a person comes to me for the first time, I give them like a questionnaire to get to know them a bit and their medical background also. And I always ask if there are any problems they experience in connection to their menstrual cycle Mm. and almost every single menstruating person is writing something in this area yeah it's so common it's so extremely common yeah so why (laughs) what is going on why are so many people suffering from their cycles Mm. i think it has many many layers. I always look at period pain and and period suffering as like an onion. Once you start peeling it off, there is like all these things coming. But what I what I feel and see in my practice is that it is multifactorial. So it's not just one thing that is the direct cause of period pain. And I'm just going to tell you what I see in my practice. So For people with period pain, it's often a combination of physical things. So how do they nourish or not nourish themselves? How do they use their body and their posture? So how are they day-to-day using their posture and potentially restricting their pelvic area? So that's the physical part. There's also an emotional part and a mental part, Mm -hmm. which comes with... um, How is somebody respecting their own boundaries? How much is somebody crossing their own boundaries and not listening to when their body is like whispering before it starts screaming? Mm-hmm. So it is, it's multi-layered. And in most clients that I see, it's a combination of everything. They either have a very demanding job, they don't take time to eat, um, they don't take care of their body and their posture, uh, they don't move enough. They don't spend actual time with their body, just being with the body. So I see it as a combination of all these different uh, layers. Mm -hmm. And when we speak about uh, things like nutrition, our menstrual cycle needs specific nutrients to perform the tasks that it needs to do. 
Like the menstrual cycle is a gigantic communication system between the brain and the ovaries and everything that's in between. And to properly use energy from our food, we need to eat foods that actually nourish us and foods that our body can transform into usable uh, ATP, which is the usable energy in the body. If we don't do that, our body is constantly going to run on reserves and the reproductive system is the first system that is not necessary to nourish when the body is stressed and not having enough nourishment. Mm -hmm. So biologically speaking, your body is not going to focus on reproduction. If you're, for example, not eating enough or having a lot of stress, your body is going to focus on survival. And your reproductive system is not something that you necessarily need <laughs> to survive. So <laughs> less energy will go there. And I feel this mechanism is at play for a lot of people. A lot of people have very high stress levels these days. You know, if we look at our ancestors millions of years ago, the only thing that they had to like worry about, like stress-wise with high level stress as we know it today, is when there was like a predator, a mm. sable-toothed tiger coming mm. to their cave. <laughs> And they had this flush of and flush and rush of stress in their bodies in that moment. Hmm. But we experience this in a chronic way in so on so many different levels. Mm -hmm. So we have traffic that we need to pay attention to. We have to make sure that nobody hits our car. We have financial pressure. We have capitalist pressures. We have so many responsibilities hmm. um, that we need to fulfill that cause us stress just by these things existing. Mm. And I'm seeing in my practice that a lot of people have just too high levels of chronic stress, and this definitely interferes with our menstrual cycles because if we look at hormones, you can really see them as an upside-down pyramid. And in the upper layer, we have insulin and cortisol. So insulin is the hormone that um, takes care of blood sugar regulation, and cortisol is our stress hormone. And these two get priority over every other hormone, which means that all the energy that we consume and we are in a survival state in our bodies or we experience a lot of stress or we feel our bodies feel in danger, all the energy is going there. And all hormones that are under this, these two in the hierarchy, they are less important. And then we can think about thyroid hormones, we can think about sex hormones, we can think about uh, hormones like melatonin that help us sleep. So if all these things are going on in the body, my first priority for every single person I work with is focusing on this blood sugar regulation and this cortisol levels. Mm -hmm. And usually... For a lot of people, you know, if there is no um, indication of a severe condition, for example, endometriosis or adenomyosis, if that is ruled out for a person, but they still are experiencing discomfort and pain and struggle, starting with these two 
so lowering cortisol and balancing insulin and blood sugar levels, for most people, it is so supportive. And most people experience great results when they start working with me on that in our, uh, in our sessions. So it's multi-layered, but this is the biggest chunk of things that contribute to period pain specifically. So it's nutrition, it's the physical nourishment of the body, it's the physical using of the body, and it's looking at what factors in your life cause you unnecessary stress. Mm -hmm. And tackling all of those almost immediately starts bringing relief for mm -hmm. people. Mm -hmm. What I heard in, in how you described it is that yes, we experience it as an individual problem, but there is definitely this collective aspect to it that yeah. we live in a world that is so stressful that actually the way our bodies respond to this is very, <laughs> let's say, quote unquote, correct or um, healthy. Yeah, our bodies respond exactly in the way that they should. And I think yeah. that is what people... Like people often start like tearing the body down and wondering like, why is my body failing me? Mm -hmm. But your body is responding exactly in the way that it should. Mm -hmm. So it's a very healthy response to the environment that we, I mean, quote unquote healthy. Like the body is doing exactly what it needs to do, but it doesn't contribute to our overall optimal health. That's the way I should say it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you're right. Like our bodies are responding in the way that they are programmed to respond, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. our bodies are not made to perform this response for a very long time. Like this system is actually made to help us respond in stressful situations, but as human beings, we're not made to be in constant stressful situations. Yeah, The way that our bodies respond is not the problem. It's the duration in which it needs to respond that way. Mm -hmm. That is a problem, and that mm -hmm. is problematic because mm -hmm. it depletes you. It depletes your nutrients because it costs an insane amount of energy to, ha to have a, a body response like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's so interesting, right? Like how the menstrual cycle is actually calling us to take time to slow down, to nourish, to regenerate, to rest, to contemplate, to get silent. Yeah. And how this is actually a quality that is so needed in the world. And we think it's something that we need to overcome. And our need for it is an expression of us not managing or not being good enough. Or, yeah. you know, like if I were good enough, I wouldn't need to rest or something like that. So this is something I think that that keeps fueling also this kind of cycle, right? Yeah, and I really always call it like the the sickness of our Western society, that it teaches us that we constantly need to be productive. But we are nature. Like, are you seeing nature constantly being productive? Like, no, <laughs> it rests in winter and autumn. Mm. Um, we are that. We're not separate from that. And I see it in people, for example who experience extreme PMS when they're like in their work and doing their career. 
And then as soon as they go on like a longer vacation, mm -hmm. they report like, oh, I didn't really have like such bad PMS. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, no shit, like you're actually resting. This is normal. <laughs> This is a normal response of your body, right? Yeah. And then earlier, we also spoke about like, this is a very collective thing, a very Western thing. Mm -hmm. It's funny that you say that because I recently was reading some uh, anthropological uh, articles. My my background back in university is in anthropology. And there is actually some research that has looked at cultural experiences of PMS specifically. And PMS as we know it, like with the standard diagnostics like mood swings, breast tenderness, agitation, anxiety, libido changes, nutritional changes, this specific cluster of things is very much connected to like a quote-unquote westernized society. And they looked at other societies in the world, and these people there were not experiencing that at all. So PMS, as we know it, in my personal opinion, and also what anthropological research has shown, is very connected to this westernized way of living, and it is not universal. People sometimes pretend or think that both PMS and period pain are like universal experiences that every person with a menstrual cycle in the entire world has. But that is not true. It's not true. And I think that is very important to understand that our body is responding to our environment and the pressure of the environment. Our bodies are in constant communication. I mean, you're a somatic worker, you know this. Like, our bodies are in constant communication with our environment. Our bodies are constantly trying to, like, regulate and co-regulate with everything around us. So if we don't have the safety in our bodies because our environment is so unsafe, and I say quote-unquote unsafe because it's not unsafe in terms of like an animal is going to attack us, but unsafe in the sense of that we cannot rest, like we have to think about so many things and we have to be aware and present and, you know, ready to respond. This has an impact on our bodies and our bodies just respond. Our bodies are not doing something bad. Our bodies are just responding and asking us to listen. And our body's showing This response, like whether it's pain or it's agitation or mood swings or like physical cramping, these are all signs. Your body is just showing you like, hey, I'm responding to my environment and I'm not really liking it. So can you maybe change the environment for me? Mm -hmm. That's all the body mm -hmm. is saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think if people would look at it in this way, there would be so much more compassion for what the body is doing because now a lot of people are like blaming their body or thinking their body is failing them while it's actually the complete opposite. Okay. 
Okay, so you spoke to the importance of insulin and cortisol mm -hmm. as the foundation, basically, also for menstrual health. In what ways would people notice that insulin and or cortisol levels are out of balance? What other things than, than menstrual symptoms? Yeah, I think if we're speaking specifically to insulin and also a little bit cortisol, it's energy. Like how awake are you in the morning? Do you struggle getting out of bed? Do you struggle falling asleep or staying asleep? Do you have energy crashes throughout the day? Do you need coffee to start up or are you just like energized and you can just like start your day and feel focused and present? Do you need sugar? Do you have the feeling that you need sugar to keep you going and to give you energy or coffee or green tea or something else that is stimulating? Like if those things are true for you, there is a high chance that your body is like currently struggling with blood sugar balance. And a lot of people struggle with this, not just people who have menstrual issues. Like a lot of people struggle with this because our diets are so strange. I don't have a different word for it. Like our diet is so strange. If we, you know, if we, if we look at like what we eat and, and the quick things that we grab to, you know, uh -huh. to eat, like... Uh -huh. I know some people who eat like a, a croissant in the morning and croissants are really nice, tasty foods, but they're not giving you the energy that you need to do like all the stressful things at your job. Mm -hmm. Luckily, there are not many French people among the listeners, so I think we can, we can leave this in the conversation. <laughs> I mean, I have nothing against croissants. <laughs> I eat them myself too, but I eat them functionally. So I make sure I have my veggies in, I have my protein, my fat, and then I end with the carby like texture of the croissant. Mm -hmm. So I make it functional so that it can actually serve me. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's it's really easy to to change this blood sugar stuff. Um, <laughs> but people also need to be willing, yeah, to do it. And a lot of people don't know. People have no idea. Yeah. People just eat whatever it is that they eat because they learned to eat this way. But people really don't think about, okay, all this stuff on my plate, is this actually giving my body energy? Is this the energy that I want that my body can like transform into ATP so I can use it uh, into my cells and my cells receive all the nutrients? Like people don't think that way because we're not, you know, we're not taught to think that way. I think that way, but I know... I'm like one of the few people on the planet thinking that way. But I really want to invite people to to like have a little bit of a curious and maybe a little bit critical look at like what do you put on your plate? Yeah. And do you think like with your common sense mind, do you think that these things that you're eating are really nutritious? Are these things that your ancestors would eat to nourish their bodies? And for most people, the answer is probably no. <laughs> Because we just often go with like very processed, quick foods. Yeah. I definitely want to talk about nutrition and food 
and functional diet mm -hmm. versus strange diet, as you put it. <laughs> Maybe it's not the right word, but I always no, like, I like when it. I, I like when it. I think about westernized food, I'm like, it's so strange. Like I get this really strange feeling in my body, like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But before we dive more into this, I I want to stay a little bit more with the with the symptoms of the lack of a functioning diet. So you addressed this like crashing of energy or un yeah, like an unstable energy level, which might also express with having difficulties to wake up or to fall asleep. Um, mm -hmm. But then many people, uh, many people experience like, and you also already talked about it, like m extreme mood swings connected to their menstrual cycle mm -hmm. and extreme cravings. Is this also connected to insulin cortisol levels and something that might change yeah. when we look at those things? Or is this something completely different? No, it's definitely connected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let me explain this throughout the menstrual cycle. So <clears throat> our menstrual cycle has two big chunks, the follicular phase and the luteal phase. Menstrual phase is part of follicular. And then in the middle, we have ovulation, which is a process that takes about 24 hours maximum. These two big chunks, so follicular and luteal and a little part of ovulation. Um, so we have follicular, which starts around day three, four in the menstrual cycle. Then our body starts to produce new or mature new eggs. So in follicular and ovulatory, we are more insulin sensitive. So it's a natural response of the body. It's just how the body works. And in this phase, we are way more capable, of, or our bodies are way more capable to deal with blood sugar shifts and changes. In the luteal phase, we are naturally more insulin resistant, which means that our bodies are way more sensitive for blood sugar fluctuations. Now, What happens when we are more insulin resistant and then we are going to eat more foods that disrupt this balance even further? For example, carbs only and a lot of sweets and a lot of processed foods. It's only going to aggravate the problem. What is going to support you is eating foods that are known to keep your blood sugar levels stable. And the biggest food groups that do that are protein and fat. And what a lot of people do is they resort to carbs, mm. in especially in the luteal phase, which makes everything worse. And I always say, like, the mood swings and the roller coasters that people feel when they are luteal, so before their period, it's actually not your sex hormones doing that. It's your blood sugar doing that. And your blood sugar responding to where your sex hormones are. So once people get that and understand that, they can also take control because your blood sugar, you can actually control. You have a new chance to control your blood sugar every single day because it runs on a 24-hour cycle. So every hormone has their own clock. Insulin runs on a 24-hour clock. So every single day, as soon as you get up, you have a new chance to support your body with that, which I think is really cool and is really 
giving people a lot of opportunity to work with this. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it's so <laughs> it's so interesting. I just recently um educated myself a little bit about blood sugar levels and how to positively influence them. And I started like or I'm 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 testing to to drink a little bit of vinegar water in the morning mm -hmm. and then start with any kind of vegetable before I drink coffee, before I eat anything else. And I find that only, I mean, this might might be placebo so far. I don't know. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> But I think, I feel my energy level is so much more stable just because of this little change mm -hmm. that I start my day a little differently. And I feel that after a few days, I am already craving vinegar water in the morning. It's like, it feels so refreshing and hydrating. And I'm like, I get up and I'm not like, oh, I want my coffee. I get up and I'm like, oh, I want my vinegar water. <laughs> I love that. So, <laughs> so <laughs> am I being brainwashed or is there something to this whole vinegar water thing? No, it's really a thing. Mm -hmm. It's it, it really is like, I'm assuming you drink apple cider vinegar? Yeah. Yeah. So apple cider vinegar has a specific acid in it that actually supports our blood sugar levels. So when we drink that, we already tell the body that food is coming. That's usually what people do when they, you know, when they mm -hmm. drink the apple cider vinegar. Mm -hmm. So that the body is already also producing enzymes to make sure that your food is digested properly. And then when you eat the vegetable starter, you basically do the same thing. Fiber is great to help process protein, fat, and carb. So when we eat fiber first, we also prepare the body to properly digest all other nutrients. And properly digesting also means taking energy from this, taking glucose molecules from your foods so that your body can use it as energy, send it to the cells and use it as energy. So I'm not surprised that you feel <laughs> this way. And this is also something that I work on with my clients. And obviously, you know, every person is a little bit different. So it's not like one size fits all. And I always try to try to look at like, okay, who do I have in front of me? How much should they eat? Uh, at what time should they eat? But it is really a proven thing that this apple cider vinegar before meals can be really helpful to spice up your digestive fires Uh, mm -hmm. Let the body know food is coming and just help help you digest properly because this is one thing that we didn't speak about, but a lot of people also experience digestive issues, specifically during PMS, mm -hmm. so their luteal phase, their premenstrual period, and their menstrual period. And what is at the base of that is also that people have no idea how to properly nourish, how to properly eat. And with this apple cider vinegar, what you actually do is you allow the stomach to properly work, work really hard so that mm -hmm. the gut doesn't have to carry the entire load. Like what I'm seeing, for example, in a lot of people these days is that their stomach acid is really low. And that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the stomach needs to be very acidic because it needs to do the biggest chunk of, you know, processing food. Um, 
And this apple cider vinegar obviously is very acidic, so it helps the stomach to keep this acidic environment and really process the food properly so that we don't put an extra load on the gut because the gut the gut's task is to absorb nutrients. It's not it doesn't have the task to process foods like the stomach does it. But when we have for example low stomach acid, the stomach isn't doing that and then we get like bigger chunks of food and sometimes you see like bigger chunks of food in stools um, that also tells me that people may have low stomach acid because their gut needs to process it but then it's not made for that so it doesn't do that so maybe that was a bit too graphic but um, I think it's important to understand for people like your body is an ecosystem and it collaborates like every system collaborates and When one system is a little bit off or you're not giving it what it needs, all other systems suffer. Mm -hmm. And it's like that for your hormones, it's like that for your digestion. And what you ideally want is to support your body in such a way and give it what it needs so it can optimally function within what that means for your specific body. Yeah, yeah. Ah, I think nutrition, and you probably experienced this with your clients as well, it's a tricky topic. It is. Because eating is such an emotional thing for many people. Yeah. It's so um, intertwined with how they were brought up, what they were taught to believe. It's a, it's a coping thing. It's a soothing thing. Mm -hmm. It's... Um, so I think for many people, when you suggest changing nutrition you meet resistance yes. at least this is also something that i experience in myself yeah. that it's i find it incredibly difficult to change like to really make long-term changes that are not not just fueled by a short inspiration or motivation but like really to really embrace a change so when you talk about a functional diet what is really important here because I think people get off the wagon when you tell them to cut out specific groups of food. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I would never tell people. I think it's a very unhealthy behavior to, you know, cut things out entirely. Mm -hmm. um, because if that specific food gives you pleasure, it's going to feel really sad if you have to, like, cut that out entirely. Mm -hmm. So... I always tell people, follow the 80-20 rule. 80% of the time, you try to, you know, to do everything in your best abilities. Sometimes you'll have a day you'll skip it all because you're human. And then mm -hmm. 20% of the time, you just, you know, eat whatever it is that you want to eat. But what you can do, you can make it functional. Like we spoke about that croissant earlier. I mm -hmm. freaking love croissants. I am never going to give up on croissants <laughs> in my life. But I try to make it functional. I know that if I eat that croissant on an empty stomach and then drink it up with coffee, I'm not going to feel good the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. If I eat a veggie starter and a couple of eggs and some sauerkraut, and a little bit of sweet potato, and then I have this croissant as a dessert with my coffee, I know my body can cope with it perfectly. Mm -hmm. So I try to be kind 
and I try to make it functional and metabolically friendly. Just, mm -hmm. you know, shoving carbs in your body, nobody is going to be sustainably happy. Like nobody <laughs> is going to be sustainably happy when we do that. But it's not to say that all carbs are inherently bad. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at the ingredients of a croissant, it has butter, it has flour. Like the ingredients are not inherently bad, but it's just our body prefers to eat that kind of carb after it has had protein and fat so that the processing of this food can happen properly. And when we have protein and fat, they are the master blood sugar regulators. And then we can actually enjoy this croissant or whatever big chunk of carb you want to have without having the crash. Mm -hmm. The crash that we feel for if we eat like a piece of pie or I love apple pie, for example, too, with a little bit of sugar in it or whipped cream with sugar. It's amazing. I love it. But I know that when I eat that on its own, and not as a dessert, I'm going to feel shit afterwards because my blood sugar is going to go like, yay, we're going to go all the way up. And then when the body has like processed the glucose from these carbs, it is unable to properly send it to throughout my body. It's just going to use up the energy. It's not going to save it. And what's going to happen then is that my body is going to completely crash like a like a roller coaster when you're at the top and then go down and never go up again. <laughs> That's what happens when we eat this carb-only food. So it's really all about making it as optimal as possible for your body and your energy levels. So I will never tell people you have to cut out entire food groups unless they want to get pregnant. Then I'll tell them, please don't drink any alcohol. That's the only time <laughs> I will tell people, please don't, you know, please mm -hmm. don't do that because it's proven that it can cause all sorts of complications. Mm -hmm. That's the only time. Mm -hmm. In all other occasions, I will never tell anybody to cut out entire food groups ever. I will teach them how to combine them so they can feel nourished and they can preserve energy and save energy. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound too frightening. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think if you tell people that they need to like cut out entire food groups or they cannot eat something ever, mm -hmm. they're like, they're not going to like me as a coach <laughs> either. And they're going to, you know, it's, they're not going to feel good because then they're like, oh, Iris tells me I can't do something and I need to listen to her. It doesn't work yeah. that way. People need to feel like an innate motivation to do something and the best way to to create that in people and i see that with clients every day is to just tell them take baby steps and then see how you mm -hmm. feel and then when mm -hmm. they start taking the mm -hmm. baby steps and they're starting to feel good they feel good about themselves because they did it like a lot of people come to me and they're like oh my god iris i'm so happy i found you and nothing was working and now it's finally working and i'm like i'm just guiding you you're doing it Like, give mm -hmm. yourself all the credit because you're making the changes. I'm just giving you some guidance of which I know it could potentially help you. And you're mm -hmm. doing it. Like, you're implementing it. So give all yeah. the credit to yourself. And that is what is empowering. And yeah. that is why the methods that I use work. 
mm-hmm. because there is no other way that you know that you can do this like it needs to be an innate motivation for people and often people who come to me they are already at this point like something needs to change and they're open to make changes mm-hmm. yeah and i think if it's something that is also noticeable so quickly yes it enhances the motivation right like yeah, if it's like it yeah cut out gluten for 30 days and then you might notice like good luck with that but if it's okay insulin 24 hours start tomorrow see what it does you'll notice very quickly if it changes something or not like i like i told you right like within a week i'm like yeah vinegar water <laughs> <laughs> yeah and also if people um If people are implementing the changes and then they have like an off day and they eat like that bar of chocolate on an empty stomach or do something else, they will feel the effects double as hard. Mm -hmm. And then they will tell me like, oh my God, I did this, Iris. And I'm like, yeah, you feel what happens, right? And then, mm -hmm. you know, inquire with yourself, like, is this how you want to feel or do you prefer what you did yesterday? And then they're like, yeah, I really prefer what I did yesterday. And I'm like, yeah, then try to see how you can pick it back up and see how you go. Mm -hmm. And then still, if you want to have that bar of chocolate, maybe drink a glass of vinegar water before that and your blood sugar will thank you as well. So mm -hmm. sometimes it can be as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. So you said like, okay, protein and fat is super important before we go for the carbs. Yeah. Um, and you also gave an example of what a breakfast might look like. Mm -hmm. what, it, what could be a good rule of thumb for people to start with that, that have no idea about nutrition or are, yeah, are not sure like what is, where, where is the protein at? What is a good source of fat? Like, is there, is there a few hints that you could give people? Yeah, I think my top advice would be like if you're just getting started and you have no idea what to do, start with a hearty breakfast. Mm -hmm. Like anything sweet for breakfast is always dessert. Like take that as a rule of thumb. Mm -hmm. Like usually when something is sweet, it can disrupt your blood sugar. And your breakfast is really what sets the tone for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And then I would say try to have a little bit of vegetables for breakfast with some protein in the form of any type of meat, any type of fish, eggs, and then a fat that is healthy. So with healthy fat, I think what is important to remember is that a lot of oils these days are heated. And when you heat an oil, it often oxidizes so that you don't get the benefits of the oil. So if you use any type of oil, whether it's olive or um, coconut or any kind of like nut oil or avocado oil, make sure it's extra virgin cold pressed always, mm -hmm. not heated. Because when you heat an oil, you lose nutrients. And in most of the oils, the nutrients are there when they are cold pressed. Mm -hmm. And other options could be ghee or fat or tallow or duck fat or, you know, anything your ancestors would use as fat. <laughs> um, and I think that's the, that's the rule of thumb. Like, we have so many highly, highly, highly processed foods 
that do not have the nutrients, you know, mm. that are in the original food source mm. where it comes from. And always thinking like, how far away is this product from the original food source? Mm -hmm. And then you can usually gauge that the nutrients are lower. Yeah, I think this uh, brings a quite spicy topic to the table. <laughs> And I know that you went from vegan back to an animal yeah, yeah. diet or including animal-based foods. And I, I live in Berlin, so this is basically vegan capital. <laughs> <laughs> so what what made you go back to include animal products in your diet? Oh, that's a big question. Um, so I started to eat vegetarian when I think I was about 13 years old. So quite a long time ago. And then I was vegetarian for a long time. And then slowly, slowly, I became vegan just because of ethical reasons. I was just like, it can't be right to eat animals and it doesn't feel right in my heart. And that's mm -hmm. why I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. It was more like an emotional thing than a nutritional thing because I didn't know anything about nutrition. And it was, mm -hmm. it came from a strong belief that this is not how it should be. And I didn't think much about anything else and when I was vegetarian but also when I was vegan there was always something in my body I had terrible acne I had always cold hands and feet I had terrible gut issues I had leaky gut I had IBS mm -hmm. I had like spasmic um, or spastic gut I was always in pain and I did not connect that to my food. It was just mm -hmm. like, I am, my body is hurting all the time and I hate it. And I tried like many different things like supplements, osteopathy, like all the things, but my complaints would not go away. Mm -hmm. And then I started learning about nutrition and how nutrition actually works and Uh, phytonutrients in plant-based foods and how things like beans and lentils and all that kind of stuff is processed in the body. It's very heavy food. It's very hard for the gut to, to process that. And I did not know at all. I didn't think about that. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, my my health was deteriorating so much. I was losing so much hair. I was You know, my thyroid was going in directions I didn't want it to go. Um, I was super skinny. I couldn't gain weight. I was so tired, so fatigued. I had so, 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 so much acne that at a certain point, I was like, I am with my back against the wall. I have tried everything I think is possible. And the only thing I did not try because of my belief system was going back to animal-based foods. And I resisted it. I resisted it for so, 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 so long. And it was my last resort. Mm -hmm. And some people kept telling me, like, maybe try this, maybe, you know. And I was hmm. like, no, this is not what I'm going to do ever again. Because of ethical reasons, like, I felt for these animals. Mm -hmm. And then I had to come to the conclusion, like, okay, Iris, you are feeling so bad. Your body is so bad. 
and you allow your body to feel so bad because you do not want other bodies of animals to be eaten. But then here you are, basically destroying your body. How okay is that? Like, do I have to destroy my body because I don't want to have other animals' bodies being destroyed? Hmm. And it was really hard. I struggled with it so, so much. And then I started to learn about ancestral foods and ancestral ways of preparing food and ancestral views on, on eating. And my ancestors and ancestors of other groups of people, they only took what they needed. They didn't mass produce or mass mm -hmm. kill mm -hmm. animals. Mm -hmm. Like with an entire cow, an entire family can eat a year from one cow. So I had to come to terms with that part. And then I had to come to terms with trying to eat this again. But... What happens in a body when you don't eat meat for a very long time? Your stomach acid changes. You need a lot of stomach acid to eat meat. If you only eat plant-based, your stomach acid pH is going to change. So the first time I ate meat, I was like, oh, my body cannot process this, which was true because I didn't have enough stomach acid to do it. So it was a very hard experience. And then I had to learn like, okay, my stomach acid is used to plant-based. My body has adapted. So now it has to adapt to animal-based again. Mm -hmm. And it took a long time. And I used the vinegar to help me, to assist me with that. And then, you know, over the course of one month, I started to feel so much better. Mm. My skin started to clear up. My bloatedness was gone. Mm. And it was it was almost like a miracle because for the 15 years before that, I struggled every single day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And within just a couple of weeks, I started to feel better. And then I had to come to terms with, okay, there is this intelligence in nature where everything is supporting everything. And who am I to decide that animal-based foods are not going to support me mm -hmm. and then you know for me it was i was coming to terms with my own arrogance of rejecting this type of food because of my own belief system while looking at history looking at ancestry my ancestors allowed themselves to be nourished with these foods and nourish their hormones with these foods because that's a topic we haven't even touched upon and then who am I to decide this? And then my body was responding. My body was undeniably responding to it. Mm -hmm. And then I had to, you know, come to terms with like, this is actually helping me. And I am feeling so good. And then I felt guilty for feeling so good. Mm -hmm. Because it was like the one thing that I didn't want to eat that was actually supporting me. And I felt guilty about that. So... You know, we spoke about resistance earlier. <laughs> like, I think that entire journey was like the biggest journey of resistance and surrender of my life. Mm -hmm. And um, it took me a long time. It took me a really long time to really come to terms with it. And now, 
you know, I only take what I need. I don't eat big like chunks of meat that I don't need. I order my meat from a farm that I know and I do one order, mm-hmm. one meat order that supports me for about eight months. Mm-hmm. And it's not much. And I feel, you know, I'm not buying from the big meat industry. I'm actually buying directly from a farm of people that I know, of mm-hmm. animals that I, you know, have seen. Mm-hmm. So um, I feel okay about that now. Um, but I really deeply understand the struggle that people are in sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I really want to say to people, if you're eating a plant-based diet and you're feeling really shit, because that can happen, <laughs> allow yourself to feel compassion for yourself and allow yourself to explore your own belief system with curiosity and see how it adds up and see whether it helps you in how you really truly want to feel. Mm. And I know it's hard. It's extremely hard. But I also believe that, and maybe, you know, I'm careful saying this and I'm speaking for myself. For me, being vegan was almost like a religion. And I was so caught up in it that I couldn't see anything else. And I was trying to convert other people as well, <laughs> which I'm not proud of at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I was I was treating my veganism as if it were a religion and the only right thing to do while my body was suffering like extremely hard. And that showed me that that wasn't the right way to do it. And I tried, you know, I tried it in every single way. I tried to like weigh my food, put foods together in the way that I thought, you know, was good to do it. But the truth was that my gut was not able to cope with that. And I'm born, this is another part of the story, I'm born through C-section. I didn't get my mom's microbiome when I was born. My gut has always been my weak spot. And my gut just cannot do the plant-based protein thing. I had to come to terms with that. And I needed to provide my body with bioavailable protein. Meat is bioavailable. Plant-based protein is not bioavailable. Your body has to go through a whole transformation process to actually withdraw the protein from the plant-based food. And I had to come to terms with the fact that my body in this lifetime is unable to do that constantly. Right now, sometimes I'll have days where I take my protein from lentils or chickpeas or other like foods like that, but I know I cannot eat it every single day. You know, like I said, it's been a very long journey and this is my personal story. I won't ever tell anybody to like do as I do. Everybody has their own journey. But I do want to say if you are eating a plant-based diet because of your belief system and your body is feeling really bad, please start listening to your body Mm -hmm. instead of just to your belief system Mm -hmm. because it can take away a lot of your suffering. And I speak from experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it makes perfect sense. And it sounds like 
this would not be something that you would recommend in general to everyone, but that it's something that is worth experimenting with. Yeah. Because there are people on a plant-based diet that really feel well and are nourished well, right? It's not that it's yeah. generally impossible. Yeah, that's true. And also, it also depends on how much energy do you need. Mm -hmm. Like if we look like culturally, like who eats plant-based? A plant-based diet mainly comes from communities where it was like a religious thing to do. Like, for example, the Jains or Buddhists or it were mainly monks eating that way to support themselves to attain like greater consciousness and connect with the divine. If I look at my own ancestry in the Netherlands, there is like if you if you go back in time, there is no evidence that my ancestors lived mainly plant-based mm -hmm. only in in moments of like extreme conditions or crises they ate plant-based because there was not anything else available mm -hmm. but if you look at it from a global perspective there are only a few groups of people on the planet that eat plant-based for very specific reasons but those people do not live in a western society with the stresses that we have Mm -hmm. So for me, meat is also a protection mechanism to actually cope with stress. Mm -hmm. Like, I am still having a very busy life, but I'm not experiencing it as intensely because my nervous system is nourished with the nutrients from protein and fat that I did not eat earlier. Mm -hmm. Like, my stress levels were way higher when I was on a plant-based diet because There is so little nutrients, especially if you live a high-stress life, that are able to nourish the nervous system like constantly. And meat and fat for me are just so bioavailable and so literally nerve-soothing that I had to opt for that. And I had to like, I had a conversation with my friend Jasmine, Jasmine Alicia Carter on her podcast, and we spoke about this. She went through like a similar transition. Mm -hmm. um, and we spoke about how in many cultures, the people who do not eat meat or animal-based foods are the ones who don't have to take care mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. It's the people who meditate, the people who are like spiritually responsible for a society, but they're not like in the day-to-day, -day, like taking care of the kids, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> So I yeah. also had to like study that and look at that like, okay, how do other societies do that? And how, what does that mean? Mm. Um, and then again, every body, every body constitution is different. Like if you are a person that comes from a very strong family, you were born vaginally, you had your entire microbiome from birth, like your body can probably cope better with intense like plant-based foods like lentils every day mm -hmm. then somebody like me who was born two months early and didn't get their mother's microbiome at all mm -hmm. at birth mm -hmm. so these are components that i feel um the plant-based community barely ever talks about mm -hmm. but we have to because everybody has their unique constitution mm -hmm. and not everybody responds well to the same foods Yeah. Yeah. 
I hope that wasn't like too much of a rant. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Thank you so much for sharing. I think it's so important to talk about this. Um, and um, yeah, it's a very, you, you give a very tangible example here, I think. So yeah, and I think it might also come as a relief to many people, to be honest. Yeah, I hope. I hope it does. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Where I feel resistance sometimes in people when it comes to like diet and nutrition is that we've had such a strong diet culture since the 1980s on average that a lot of people when they think about changing how they eat is directly correlated to following some sort of like diet like I remember my mom like she was always on a diet there was like ah this new diet is coming out and I'm mm -hmm. gonna do it and it was resolute and everything needed to change mm -hmm. and I feel that idea may still be somewhat in our consciousness when we talk about nutrition when we talk about diet but I really want to say to people like it's really so much easier than that you never will have to be like super strict cutting out food groups like weighing all your food like it's not like that and I feel people who suggest those types of diets miss a lot about um what it actually means to be human <laughs> because it's very hard you know to to follow such a strict diet in the in the lives that we have these days Like everybody is already really busy. Like you don't want to be extra busy also with all of your food. Like that that should be your anchor to make everything else more easy, not the other way around, mm -hmm. in my opinion. That's mm -hmm. how I always, you know, share it with my clients. Like your nutrition should be your anchor and your eating moments should be your anchor so that you're better able to cope with anything else in, in your life, everything else that's going on. Mm -hmm. And it should be easy and accessible. Yeah. Hmm. Is there anything else that you would like to add, would like to talk about? I think there's two things. Um, the first thing is, is if you notice that your body is trying to tell you something, Don't brush it off the table because that's what you learn to do. Like, take a moment to stop and listen. And if you don't know how to interpret what your body is saying, go to someone who might know and who might be able to help you, like a hormone coach or somebody else, a nutritionist who could, you know, assist you with that. And then secondly know that your body is always doing what it should be doing and it's always responding in the way that it should in that moment like your body is not broken your body is not ever broken it's just trying to communicate with you and then it is our humble task to try to decipher and, and learn how to listen mm. 
that's very beautiful. Yeah. So, Iris, I know that your Instagram is an incredible source of information. It's a good starting point to get to know your work, I think. Thank you. What else are platforms, channels, possibilities to learn more about you and your work or, or to get in touch, to start working with you if people are interested? Yeah, so I think, as you said, the best way to connect with me is through Instagram. I'm every day on there. Um, I also have a podcast, the Planting Seeds podcast, where I invite people to come and share about topics related to the body. So I, I take it a bit broader than just the menstrual cycle on there. Um, and you can find that through my Instagram. My regular website is cycleseeds.com. And there you can also find all the information on how to work with me. I currently have a wait list for one-to-one -one work because I'm fully booked for this year. Um, but mm -hmm. if you want to be informed when spots open, you can get on the wait list. And for people who are interested in doing the work that I am doing, I'm having my, uh, my big training, my holistic hormone and cycle coaching certification training that I'm really proud of. Mm -hmm. um, I'm teaching the first round this year with incredible group of people um, and doors open next year again. Um, so if you're interested in this work, we teach you the base of everything. So you don't need any prior education. You can, but you don't have to. Uh, but I really wanted to make this training accessible for people who are just getting started and really make sure that I teach them, you know, hmm. all the foundations that they should know to start this work. Amazing. Congratulations also on this training. Thank you. Mm, thank you so much for your time and your sharing your knowledge and insights. Thank you so much for having me on here. It was such a pleasure. Hmm. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. I hope this was inspiring to you. I certainly am deeply inspired by Iris's work, and I'm looking forward to dive deeper into it. So if you feel like you're suffering from your period, rest assured that it doesn't have to stay this way. And please seek help to change this because it is unnecessary suffering. If there are any underlying health conditions, make sure to get the help you need. And um, be well and safe and happy cycling.